0: Welcome back to the third and final part of the Washington State Wine Deep Dive 2021. I'm of course interpreting wine host and founder Lawrence Francis across three episodes exploring the terroir, geology, winemaking culture and wines of the US's second largest quality wine producing region. We conclude the series today with an in-depth look at Walla Walla with Matt Van of Van Family Vineyards. Building on episode 443, which looked at the wider Columbia Valley, and 444, which focused on Yakima Valley, we first hear Matt's origin story, a fascinating introduction to the wine industry, literally from scratch, in 2004. He puts the family decision to start a new winemaking endeavour in a new region in the context of the help that they received along the way from both the local and international winemaking communities. Before we embark on a podcast first, a 2017 Syrah Vertical. Tasting three wines, firstly in the rocks, secondly in the hills and finishing with the contender. Before Matt talks about the market for these wines, both locally and internationally. Before finishing, by looking ahead for both Walla Walla and the wider Washington State winemaking region. Enjoy.
1: So in 2004, um, I moved from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, up to Walla Walla, where my parents had just purchased uh, a house. And it was a a house that now is where the winery and the foothills Mm -hmm. vineyards sit. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at that point, I had no interest in wine. I thought it was cool and I had a place to live. Um, (laughs) But I was in the golf business before. So when I came to Walla Walla, I I started working at the country club. And being in this, this valley, you start to catch the bug of winemaking and drinking it and just enjoying the people around it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to take a shift um, towards that direction. And um, there was an opportunity to play with uh, um, the Lacole 41 guys in a golf tournament, a charity tournament. And I was back then, you know, a stick. I was really good. And uh, so I was kind of their ringer <laughs> and um, we were out playing and, you know, they kind of had heard that I was maybe interested in getting in the wine business and, so Mike Sharon, the uh, the former winemaker there, said, you know, Matt, uh, I hear you're looking for a job. I said, yeah, you know, I'm trying. He goes, oh, okay, this this next hole will put you to the test here. <laughs> so we were on this par five, and um, I we were trying to, uh, you know, get on the green in two. And um, he says, I'll tell you what, if you can get this within 10 feet of the pin, I will see what I do about getting you a job. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, okay, you know, nothing to lose. I, uh, I step up there, I hit this, like, uh, six iron from, like, 200 yards, and it landed on the green, bounced once or twice, and rolled up to, like, a foot of the, to the pin, the hole. And he goes, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> and so I began my first uh, wine um, job at Lacole for an internship in 2004 Vintage. From there, um, you know, I started to think um, – I should do some schooling because we were talking about maybe making this into a business and um, you know, you want to get some background. And we, uh, we knew Christoph Barone and Charles Smith very well. Um, and, um, and, you know, Christophe, we tried to get him as a consultant and uh, you know, he, uh, uh, he kind of said, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in doing this. I don't have the time, you know, he's a busy guy. And uh, I think over just drinking wine, and getting to know us, uh, he took a kind of an interest in the idea that we wanted this to be a family business for a long period of time. And, um, you know, we had just bought this this property that had, you know, all this land, about 40 plus acres. Uh, and Christoph came up here and, and said, you know, this is, this is not a good site to start. And, and it had residual chemicals from all the farming that's been done around here. But it was intriguing, at least to um, the potential. But he said, if you really want to start off with, bang you know i have a piece of property down in what's now the rocks district mm-hmm. um because i think if i'm going to do this i i want us to start there uh and build build from from that rocks district um and so we bought this piece of land um and started uh thinking about exactly what we wanted to do we knew it was going to be Syrah to begin with um but we also wanted to incorporate some some whites in there so we We talked it over, and we decided we had to do some beignet. Um, we loved to drink it. It was perfect for for co-fermenting if we wanted to go that route. And then we also picked um, Marsan, which no one had really done. Um, But we thought, let's try this, try to be different, and and find a style that we'd like. Um, And so we ended up planting five acres in 2005. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we had, you know, we weren't going to buy any fruit or juice from anyone to make one. We wanted to do it come. Completely a state from the beginning. So, in that the interim, uh, Christoph said Matt needs to get out and get some experience. Um, you know, let's see what we can do before 2007 when the vines could potentially have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the ability to make wine. So, yeah. I ended up going from LaCole, um, doing a little bit of school at the Walla Walla Knowledge Program, uh, and school is just not the best avenue for me for learning. I just, I need my hands dirty. I need to get out there. And so, um, I ended up, uh, you know, uh, planting the vineyard with, um, you know, our first five acres with the crew, which was an amazing task. Uh, the farming down there is incredible. It's the solid, you know, river rock. Um, that was a learning experience. Um, you know, but I had to find other things to do because once the vines were in, you know, there's a little bit of watering, some tractor maintenance, but mm. at that time, the Cayuse crew would just hop over and do it quick. And so I was, you know, didn't have uh, a lot to do back then. So I ended up getting a job at uh cave Inners working for Charles Smith, uh, basically doing, you know, the tasting room, the, the shit work, you know, the, the kind of beat me up. But what, what Charles really had was the, uh, you know, he has a great cellar, um, and he's very uh, he's very serious about his craft, which is being a negociant, I think. And so I had kind of the best um, in Christoph teaching me vineyards and working with Charles in the cellar because he would bring in samples from everywhere and kind of, you know, uh, start start blending. And so I got an idea of what, what it takes to blend, what we're looking for in different aspects, and, you know, taking care of barrels and just... Really understanding, and then Charles was very generous with the cellar, and so he would open up, you know, crazy bottles and uh, introduce me to some of the the older ones. And Christoph would come over; they they were friends back then and drank like fish and all these amazing wines that uh, you know these old clops, these some Chateauneuf, some old Bordeaux, and you know Charles would say, hey, "Matt, go back to the cellar and get anything except the Petrus or the uh, <laughs> the Pingus or something like that." And so I, I had a pretty good. Uh, you know, pretty good line to some awesome wines. Um, and so I did that for about a year. Uh, and then um, I still had one more year before the vines could, you know, mm-hmm. be ready for, uh, be ready to harvest, potentially. So um, my neighbor um, in Walla Walla I became a great friend of mine. And actually, is a world-famous artist named Jim Dine. And he um, he did a sculpture over in Bordeaux um, at Chateau smith Lafitte. And I had been looking and Christophe was trying to secure me an internship and couldn't get the one in the Rhone, which would have been best. But he says, you know, it's, it's, it's important for you to be in France and learn the French style of winemaking and, and living in the vines. And so um, said Bordeaux is a, is a different you know, animal than the Rhone, but um, you need to do it. And um, Jim's wife, Diana, uh, called Madame Catillard and I was able to get over there to work the 2006 uh, harvest and learned, I mean, it was life changing to, to be a part of that and to see what it takes and, you know, the connections they had, the places we went, the other tasting the wines, of Bordeaux, how they, you know, how they make it. And, um, you know, I just, I just fell in love with it. And then I came back, man, I was ready to go for our vines. And, uh, I got back and uh, 2007 was a phenomenal year. And we ended up making, um, a small amount off the five acres. We made two Syrahs, uh, one called the Contender and one of in the rocks. And we also made a white wine called Queens Road White. And so that gets you up to, you know, uh, the first vintage. And we were off and running.
0: You've covered so much there. And I think reaching as I am the, the third interview of the series, you've you really kind of, uh, I think, echoed many of the sentiments that i think especially one munozoka uh, was talking about in, in our interview just just around the the community and just around he was talking to people moving to the area being able to afford land being able to uh, essentially get their foot on the ladder in, in in a sense in in that region which it may not have been possible in so many other regions and i'm just curious just to for context really i mean was that a part of the story by which the the family and your family actually moved there. I mean, it, it's it's the name is still very much there on the 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 bottles in 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 terms of Rainvan family vineyards. And I'm just curious, then, was that community, was that accessibility a key part of them deciding to move to the region?
1: My parents would say they wanted a smaller. They knew something was happening in Walla Walla in terms of the growth. Um, they were looking at maybe doing an investment property of a house by Whitman. My dad went to Whitman and thought maybe we'll use it and rent it out to some ki- Whitman kids or something. Uh, they just en- enjoyed being in wine country. Um, and they kept looking and nothing ever, you know, felt right. Uh, but I don't think they had the intention of growing grapes or doing this. This wasn't like a lifelong thing. My dad was practicing law, um, in Seattle and I think they were just looking for a little escape. They knew Charles very well. My dad is Charles lawyer. Um, um, so, you know, they just wanted to, to be a part of it. And after a while, the realtor's like, listen, uh, you know, if this isn't what you're looking for, I have a, I have a property out in the base of the foothills, the, the Blue Mountains that, you know, is a lot more land, but it's kind of more what it seems like you guys, you know, want to do. And they came up Cottonwood, which is, you know, you're climbing up the hill um, on the southeast part of uh, Walla Walla. And they got up there. And my mom and dad described it as they pulled in, got out of the car and it's an exceptional Mm -hmm. view of the Valley. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just beautiful for them. And my mom doesn't hesitate and says, this is it. And my dad was like, honey, this is like six times it, you know, we, (laughs) this is not what we're thinking. (laughs) So, um, but my mom, you know, has a great eye in real estate and saw the potential for, you know, maybe vineyards, maybe just, there was all kinds of options. Yeah. Um and it's what became Foothills in the Sun. And to be quite honest, it's one of the most unique sites in the valley. So there is some, you know, serendipitous um you know actions going in the way because I mean from um from a group that had no knowledge of wine other than drinking it, we were now embarking on a large venture. Um and it happened very fast. And without the guidance of Christoph, uh, it would have been a completely different I mean, different way he embedded so much knowledge. I was a sponge with him listening to every aspect and studying and studying and studying. Like, um, and so we, we ended up, you know, like I said, not using this part at first, but ended up coming back to it after we had kind of cleaned up the soil, got some better nutrients in there Mm -hmm. and planted, Mm -hmm. uh, 10 acres, um, at the very top of the, the property, which is 1600 feet, um, so we were already going with the In the Rocks property. Um, and this one now, we were going to wait for our first vintage, which would be 2010, for them um, up here. And um, we ended up planting Vignette, uh a bunch of different clones um, and rootstocks of Syrah, and uh, a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon. So um, 2008 was a very... Um, Busy year for planting. We had planted our first in two thousand five at in the rocks, um, and then again in two thousand six, two thousand seven, and the last little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon um, in two thousand eight, as well as ten acres of Syrah and Viognier and Cabernet at the um, at the foothills vineyard. And so from there, my mom was saying, "We are burning through money." uh, spending on these vines and, you know, doing all this work. But I mean, we were committed, you know, we were all in by then. Um, and so we kind of did that for a while and then started planting again in 2014. We add, um, had a little extra part of the inner rocks vineyard that I had been planning for a long time to dedicate to, um, more board over idols because of my time in, in, in France and at Smith Olafitte. Um, I wanted to do kind of the style of wine that they did, which is, you know, more Cabernet Sauvignon, a higher percentage of that, uh, a Merlot, Cap Franc, and a little bit of Petit Verdot. And, you know, Petit Verdot, um, Madame Cathiard always said, this is like, you just need a little bit, don't plant a lot, mm-hmm. it's too powerful, but just a little bit will really help the blend. And so we ended up doing that, um, and it, it started to, you know, we had to wait till 2016 to see what the grapes would do. Um and so we ended up uh you know in that time we had all this Cabernet from the In the Rocks previous that we we made a hundred percent uh Cabernet for um since two thousand ten. First commercial was two thousand eleven and just kind of kept making a hundred percent cab. And then in two thousand sixteen, once I saw the quality of the um the the varietals Isles down mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. we ended up switching the wine from a hundred percent cab to uh a blend. And it made the wine so much better, so much complexity. Um, and so that was that was the final planting that we did at Inner Rocks. It's totally uh, planted out. Um, and then in 2018, we planted another five acres of Syrah, um, kind of my favorite clones that worked very well up here, uh, in a little block on the lower part of the property um, that I named after my son, called Pierce's Block. Um, because he was born in 2018. And it was uh, it's just coming online for the 2020. And, um, you know, it's, it's been great. So that's, that's the final planting that we're doing right now. My mom has cut off the checkbook and we can do <laughs> focus on what we have.
0: You know, you've started to describe there standing on the, the hillsides, actually orientating myself to um, the surroundings. So I wonder if you wouldn't mind giving us that sort of, I guess, 30,000 foot, Type view of walla walla um potentially rating, relating this back to um washington state you know I, I guess sort of really orientating people to potentially some of those more cataclysmic uh, influences which we have already touched on earlier in the series and also that mountain range which keeps it so dry as well
1: walla walla washington is a small um uh Appalachian Valley uh, in the southeast corner of Washington state. So we reside on the eastern side of the Cascade Mountains, which gives us a protective barrier from uh, the w- the weather patterns off the ocean. So we have actually, uh, people think of Washington as very rainy, which it is on the west side. Um, over on the east, we have almost 300 days of sunshine. So we have ideal conditions uh, for growing lots of different varietals. Um it's about a four-hour trip from uh, Seattle or Portland by car and um, we have throughout the state these different climates coming off the Cascades to very dry desert in the in the Yakima uh, moving towards the you know tri-cities and then Red Mountain is about a you know 50 probably an hour away uh, west of Walla Walla and you move from Red Mountain into um, kind of the the outskirts of Walla Walla where um, mm-hmm. some of the beginning wineries like, uh, Rick small, um, LaCole, um, Rick, Rick small of, of uh, Woodward Canyon, um, out in Loudoun. And then you move into Walla Walla. And as you move closer into the Valley, you start seeing a shift in, um, in the soils. It's primarily, um, wheat growing peas, onions. Um, and as you get closer to the mountains, we go from, you know, eight inches of rain per year on the Western side, all the way to as high as 25 inches. And the, you know, where we are here at the, the foothills vineyard. So drastic conditions in the Valley uh, and, and across the state. And there's a lot of great uh, little pockets of different terroirs. And so we work exclusively in the Walla Walla Valley. Um, but what's interesting what we do is we have our vineyard, the foothills, that is, uh, you know, this, this windblown lust, uh, deep silty loam, uh, that, that's attributed to the Missoula floods that, that happened. Um, and then we also work with um, the the rocks, which is a, an alluvial fan that kind of uh, surrounds the valley. And so we have these rocky soils kind of um, down in Milton Freewater going around towards the airport. And actually most of it is in the town of Walla Walla because a lot of the farmers who farm here didn't know the uh, they thought the rocks were an impediment they didn't understand mm-hmm. the uh mm-hmm. the amazing their terroir they're building the uh, courthouse on uh so <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know we um fortunately the the mill and freewater uh the where the rocks district is a lot of the people who planted down there were apple trees different fruit trees, and it stayed that that soil and they didn't plant it was all farmland um, where when you get closer to the foothills it's um, it's, it's mostly wheat fields, you know, alfalfa and these these deep, silty loam um, soils that are, are great for growing a lot of different crops. So what's cool about us is we have the hillside aspect of one terroir and then we have the the rocks, the ancient riverbed, and we use similar techniques at both. So we have a really cool idea of these little microclimates in the in the valley um, to show different styles from what all these places can create.
0: I'm super privileged because we've got a set up in front of both of us. Uh, we've got a horizontal tasting. So we've got the same grape. Uh, we've got the Syrah. We've got it yourself, the same producer. And we've got the same vintage 2017. Um, and before we go in and, and, and really sort of start to explore those differences that you've alluded to there in terms of the terroir that's being expressed through the grape, I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind yeah, talking perhaps a little bit to your philosophy Um, And the big picture, I guess, really, in in terms of um, what similarities there may well be between these wines before we later explore the differences between the sites.
1: When I um, first began with the consulting help of Christophe Baron of Cajus Vineyards, um, he said to us, you know, I'm here to get you guys to find your own style. I don't want to guide you along to make a similar, like a Cayuse, you know, cousin of Cayuse type of thing. He said, you guys really need to find your style. Um, so we started drinking some wines that we have enjoyed, and the particular um, Syrahs that we felt were some of the best in the world. In fact, we did a tasting of, blind tasting um, of different wines. And we kind of all landed on this the wines that were co-fermented. Mm-hmm. So we had in the beginning planned to make a wine that has a white grape co-fermented with the red grape. Uh, those are the styles that we really liked. It's a, it's a more elegant style. It's um, it's some, that it, it's in wines that I found throughout the world. I think some of the, the older gone have a beautiful um, uh, ability to have the v and in there and um, and I thought that when we first started out, we really thought we were only going to make two or three wines. Um, but as it evolved, we've now make a lot more. Um, but I think the core of what we do began it, with this Syrah co-fermented with Viognier, um, And then we kind of experimented with other things through the years and have added new wines that, uh, uh, because I love a hundred percent Syrah. I think it's just, it, uh, that wine just can't lie. It is what it is. You can't put anything in there to hide or mask anything. It's just, here it is. Uh, so we ended up doing that later on as we built our, you know, our portfolio of wines. Um, but I, I, I honestly, uh, I look to the greatest producers to get inspiration and see what they do, see what I like about it, see what I don't like about it, you know, but in the end I'm, people say, are right, you're trying to make a wine like this I said, no, I'm, I'm more in the category of, I wanna make the best wines from our terroir and start developing that narrative of Washington, especially Walla Walla Valley for us, is one of the greatest places to grow grapes in the world. And so we're trying to build upon that and, and showcase the type of terroir that we have that is very special. So uh, philosophy um, for me is beginning in the vineyard, Um, having great grapes and in the cellar I've learned that the less um, you intervene with the wine uh, the less you try to manipulate it Uh, it really is the best if you just have perfect grapes and Mm -hmm. have good vessels to to carry them through so we do very simple upbringings um, in stainless steel Uh, it's quick fermentation it's all on um, our own native yeast. I've never introduced an outside commercial yeast. I think that was something that you learn very quickly. The best producers um, in the world tend to have their native yeast. And there's different schools of thought on it, but that's what works for me. Um, and I like the fact that it's wild and then it jumps around and it creates it, its own, you know, soul and character in the wine that feels very much like this is a van wine. Um, so that's, I'm not much of a science guy. I wouldn't like to work with that. So uh, I just have to trust that our yeast is strong enough. So um, we eventually, uh, well, first we, we started our first couple vintages doing custom crush down at Cayuse Vineyards. Uh, we hadn't built our building yet. Um, so the first 2007, 2008 and 2009 were, were done at Cayuse Vineyards. Uh, and so in the meantime, we were preparing to build our building and you know, we have um, respect for the the farmers and land over here that we wanted to build a winery that would work for us, but wouldn't be this ostentatious kind of showpiece Mm -hmm. because we are all about the wine. So we built basically what looks like a barn um, that is extremely functional um, and ideal for, for creating the kind of wines we do. So we, we started in 2010 and at our, and at our first vintage at the new facility And I think we kind of carried over some of the Cayuse, um, some of the yeast uh, that may have been picked up from his cellar. And then over time, ours has developed more because it came into a clean environment and we've kind of developed our own strain. Um, And honestly, if I feel like you need the science in winemaking when you screw up, you know, it seems like, you know, if you just get out of their way and you taste all the time, Uh you see Uh what Uh kind of... um, what then if you have to do, you know, give it extra or back off, you know, pump, pump overs, punch downs, uh, or nothing, you know, does the wine need more air? I I'm not a recipe winemaker. I see what I have in the year and make decisions from then on. And then once it, it finishes fermentation, um, for our red program, you know, I will, um, put it in barrel and I typically use uh, a lot of neutral oak, uh, just because i don 't want to mask any of the stuff we work so hard for in the vineyard um and then it 's on an aging process um you know anywhere between ten months and eighteen months for the Syrahs. um and it 's very clean you know but i don't um i don 't find the wine i don 't filter it um you know we we rack it you know every once in a while um but it 's not a I like the ruggedness of it because there's so much character in the leaves that we, we use it for quite some time until we need to rack it, um, and it creates that, that kind of style. But, I mean, I've, I had to learn a lot since 2010, understanding the blocks as the wine, you know, uh, the, the Syrahs are getting um, older in age in the vines, so mm-hmm. we start to learn, and I always like to experiment with, you know, more stemmed, less stemmed, all very you know different types of things and i see what works and what doesn't and some years it works great and then you think oh that will work again next year and it absolutely doesn't work at all and (laughs) we end up having to uh you know declassify the wine and put it in a different you know brand or something but yeah yeah Yeah. i'm I, i don't like to uh intervene too much i just think it's very important to taste and and realize you stick to that style
0: you're not the the first winemaker to uh, talk about science and and I guess the application of their knowledge in that way. You know, I think uh, yeah, it's, it's it has been a, uh, a a trend, and and you know, I would say for me, and based on the conversations I've had, it has been more with sort of old world winemakers in in, in Spain and Austria, a couple of them. Uh, come to mind that, yeah, you 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 go out there and you're 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 taught how to make wine. And then they have really said the same thing, you know, that they really they've really learned how to make wine by making wine, by being on the ground, by observation, by crunching up the seeds and the and the grapes in their mouth and 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 tasting 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 but you know having that I guess get out of jail free card (laughs) uh, by understanding the science and and understanding what's going on and the processes that are going on there you need Mm -hmm. it as well really if you if you're if you're going to be sort of yeah self-sufficient and and, you know potentially going on that journey of exploration this is incredible uh, you know i'm loving the way that you've set up the the terroir um you know that that the listeners will by now already be quite familiar with this being the, the third part of the series um but now we you know we've we've got to hear from you uh you know your situation there um the influences that have, that have guided you and, and now i just you know throw the door open and invite you to take us first of all through the in the hills as we start to get deep into vineyard by vineyard and wine by wine
1: so the 2017 in the hills um is a wine that uh is co-fermented with viognier. i believe it's about six seven percent uh in there and what's so striking i think from the um from the bouquet is the the gamey peppery notes that you would find in some places like a you know a um San Joseph, you know, those kind of more rugged notes, some, some Cote Roti. Um, but this is on soil, this, this deep silty loam that has no kind of minerality structure in the soil, mm-hmm. but it does have its own characteristics really from this. It's a hillside vineyard. Um, so we have, you know, this was um, the second vineyard that we planted was in this hillside one and It's not planted by the book. I studied um, in the times that I had uh, just on a tractor. I would go out and just see what happens because from the air, if you're looking at these wheat fields, it just looks like they're, you know, a flat field. But once I started getting on the tractor, I noticed these small different angles where there was a slope kind of Southwest facing. And then there was this ease going East, West, uh, this gentle slope, uh, that I ended up planting most of the vines on and it was kind of a risk because by the book, people are like, you know, don't do that. But um, it was Christophe said later, you know, this is what people in France do. They, they plant for ease of farming. It's what you have is what you, you know, uh, what you get. And so we ended up doing that. And I think some of the most Rome like notes come from this vineyard. I mean, you pick up the bouquet with the Viognier in there, obviously a touch of that dried apricot, but you get white pepper. You get the gaminess, mm-hmm. almost like a like a lamb dish with a touch of rosemary, kind of that herb de Provence. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And the bouquet, it just keeps it keeps going and going, you know, expanded so much over time. And when you drink it, we have natural acidity up here. We don't have to acidify the wines from the foothills because it's, it's just natural in it where we do in the, in the rocks, um, Syrah. So it brings a freshness. It brings, um, kind of a linear, you know, focus in this wine but it's extremely balanced, and it it has all of the elements I'm looking for in a higher elevation um, Syrah. So it's it's one of my favorites, and I, I think that this is one that in blind tastings people don't believe that this is from Washington State because it has mm-hmm. its own
0: mm-hmm.
1: characteristic that's not like every other wine in Washington, and and they lean towards the Rhone even though this is uh you know this is made in our little tiny town of Walla Walla, so. And and I think
0: this is where, you know, having that that influence from Christophe Baron, I think this this will maybe, you know, give you a, a deeper understanding. But potentially, <laughs> who knows with the wine sometimes. Um, but I mean, has he kind of hypothesised around that link and and that connection that you're talking about there in in terms of the wine that's coming out? Um, very much is reminding people and reminding yourselves of those Rhone wines but the the terroir is so different obviously the 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 location is so different um the the access to water and and the and the growing conditions are so different is is there a hypothesis around how come the wines are coming out kind of so reminiscent and 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 feel so familiar?
1: Yeah we've we've talked about that many times over the years um you know I think that terroir is it's such an interesting thing because a lot of people think of it as just the soil, but the other aspects of terroir that we get up here is uh, different exposure um, with the orientations of the rows. We have uh, wind patterns that make the the vines uh, you know stronger. Uh, there's a big the the weather will hit the hills and drop you know and then go back through the valleys. So we have different kind of weather patterns. Um, you know, I think it's very important too the um, the clonal diversity uh, when you're planting. We wanted to have, I personally wanted to have as many ingredients to work with um, to create a wine because you want to have, you know, these certain characters in the Syrah grape. And there's so many different ways to do it um, that when we we bring all these lots together and line them up to try to create these wines, Mm -hmm. they all have their own personality. And my job is to bring them together um, in a harmonious way that that follows that style that we've set out to do long ago um, for each of these wines. And I treat each wine like a child, you know, like I want, I I love them all. I want them to be perfect. And I just, uh, so when I dial in for in the Hills, I know what I'm looking for. I know what I have. And I do that with every single wine that we do.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's, this is, this is absolutely stunning. Um, You know, I, I, I think having, researched and 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 looked at the i guess available literature on 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 the wines i'm I'm potentially being guided by some of those tasting notes that talking around olives and 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 tapenade and that that kind of almost like briny olivey um characteristic extremely briny it's and and so moorish though that that, that's the that's the thing and 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 actually it it did just occur to me you know I, i don't know if you feel as though the, the Viognier, um, which I'm certainly picking up as you're describing there, is, is its influence, I guess, over the Syrah and, and over the blend, is it more felt on the nose than on the palate for you? Or or is, is are you, you know, you know these wines, you know the, the 100% Syrahs that you're uh, doing over there. Are you tasting as well the influence of that 6
1: 7%? Yeah, and I think that... Um, sometimes the amount of V&A that we put in here can get away, and it becomes too overwhelming. Uh, I personally like kind of the two to five percent um, inclusion in it. Um, but the way that we blended this year, I mean, for this, this particular vintage, uh, there was a lot that had that was excellent. That just had a little more V&A, so it brought that percentage up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it. I think it's balanced enough with the syrah that it's not too overpowering. But because it can be, you know, one more, two more percentages, and people would think this tastes more like VNA than it does a Syrah, and I don't ever want to get to that point. Um, but I think it's it's I taste um, in there because when we do the the Vignette, I will typically do um, whole cluster Viognier mm-hmm. um, at the bottom of a tank, and then put the Syrah on top of it. So I taste the stems and the skins of the Viognier that the way they're grown up here they're a little more intense than the vignette that's from are in the rocks vineyard. Mm -hmm. So it's a little more Mm -hmm. grittier. It's a little more tension in it. Um, But I like that. It it wakes people up, gets their attention. Um, And it, but it does have that beautiful elegance and grace that I want with these other kind of really raw masculine notes. You know, like you said that almost like a, a briny irony top, all of top and odd. I mean, yeah, it's very cool. I think that's, what's fun about this site.
0: You know, reading those, descriptions for me they 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 are very accurate you know and and they are things that i love um <laughs> <Yeah>. thankfully um <laughs> to eat but I, I think it's just just so interesting that that i just think they they for me there's just that missing part of the description that you filled in there really just around the the harmony around the completeness of the wine um which i think you know for me obviously then elevates it far beyond any of those components, that briny uh, note, the salinity, the tapenade, the olive, taken in isolation. It's, it's mm-hmm. just a, you know, a, a far more complete taste experience that actually I think it's a little bit difficult to
1: uh, put into words at times. So moving on now to the second wine, um, we are going to be drinking the 2017 In the Rocks, which is... I chose this wine because it's very similar in its upbringing. It has Syrah and Viognier co fermented as well, and it shows the um, it shows the diversity of the valley. We go from being at 1,600 feet on a hillside mm-hmm. uh, down into the Rocks District, which is an ancient riverbed. Uh, I, I mean, if people listening picture Chateau Neuf de Pop um, with the big boulders. That's what it is. And it makes for fantastic growing. And it's the vineyard that we um, made our first wines from. So the 2017 um, was co fermented with, I believe, 4% Viognier in there. Um, what you're going to pick up right away is the more, um, I, I would say it's more of a. Um, a weight to this wine. Mm -hmm. There's more of a savory characteristic. It doesn't jump out with the brightness that the in the hills had. Um, It's more of the richer, more Hermitage style uh, where it's a warmth that brings in with the Syrah. That's kind of the initial, um, the taste of it. The smell, I pick up um, the Viognier in there. Uh, This one will typically see a little bit more oak, um, in its elevage, maybe from, um, mm-hmm. you know, 30 to 35%, mm-hmm. um, but it really depends. Um, and I, I tend to age the in the rocks a little bit longer uh, than the Foothills wines. So you pick up the the oak a little bit, but I, I it, it depends really. Sometimes I've, I've switched Coopers, I've gone over different things, and you, you finally find the ones that work best with your grapes, you know, and Um, I use about three to four Coopers, um, and it just, it's harmonious now. And I think I've got it dialed in, but we'll see. Um, but this one for me, you pick up, um, you pick up the minerality in it, the wet stone, you pick Mm -hmm. up the fruit characteristics, kind of a black cherry almost. I think if you dive deeper into it, you get some of that white flower characteristic, Lots of smoked, mm-hmm. uh, smoked meats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of these wines that you open it and can leave it open and it just expands and expands and expands. So it's, I'm picking up now kind of some some blackberry in there, some kind of crushed blackberry. But still, I think as you taste it, it's it's got that. It, it feels like it might be heavy, but then when you taste it, it's very elegant in style. It's very, like, mm-hmm. flows through, it kind of cascades through the palate.
0: Is this a hotter area? The, the, this sounds as though this is going to potentially trap a lot more of that heat down there.
1: It's very unique because it does, it gets very warm. Um, and the whole idea behind having the, the, the soils with these exposed cobblestones is we want them exposed. Because what's so cool about it is it captures all the heat during the the summer and through the fall. And then when we have these huge diurnal shifts where the temperatures can drop almost 40 degrees. And we still have this heat coming from the rocks that Mm -hmm. radiates Mm -hmm. back into the canopy and onto the grapes. And you have this cold air preserving the, the acid in there. So it makes for this totally unique place to grow grapes. And so what's nice about that is it continues to ripen throughout the, the night, which gives us optimal time to get this ripe. Right. Uh, and so it, it becomes a wine that, you know, has more of that warmth to it that you can feel, but not where it's too uh, heavy of a wine where you can only have a glass of it. I, mm-hmm. I, I feel that any wine of ours, you should be able to sit and drink the whole bottle if you want. You know, it's, it's, it's refreshing almost.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm just curious as well, though, is this wine still representing a, a large percentage of that 2004 fruit? Um, or, or Or have we now got sort of, you know the different mm-hmm. generations of Syrah now coming through into this blend.
1: Yeah, we we have, I've learned enough about the different parcels that we have, the kind of blocks of the different clones. And I know which what I'm looking for now since it's all been planted out and I see what's what. Um, there's kind of a few of them that are the backbone of this particular wine that I go to every year, and I know that's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. And then as we see uh, some of these other Syrahs, um, you know, I will do like, all berry in one tank, you know, cause we make the wine in these small ton and a half tanks. So I have all these options where I can do all berry, some whole cluster, some bunches, or a mix of different things. And so I have what I know is the backbone of each wine. And then I have all these other Syrahs that I can play with to create the style. And I want it to be, it's evolved significantly since the first, the 07 vintage in the rocks, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's kept, it's, Profile and its character all the way through. And it just keeps getting better and better. The vines keep getting older. Um, in, the, in the wine world, they're very, very young. Yeah. But over here, they've got some age on them. Yeah. And we're starting to see that develop and get more intense. Um, and I never wanted to get too intense. I don't want to be that kind of Syrah producer. I mm-hmm. want to be one that, mm-hmm. that has that balance and finesse um, and elegance. And so I try to get that every year. And um, I never try to push too hard for changing that style because i think this wine is singular in its style
0: i imagine we're 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 on the same sort of um line of thinking because really the reason behind my question was because what this wine strikes me as is is actually you know an older wine or an almost a you know more detailed um, but almost beyond that, almost, almost uh, you know, I know we we like to characterize wine as people, but it's almost like one of those people you meet that's um, you know quite sure of themselves and kind of knows who they are and kind of no, knows their own personality, and and that's why you know it, again it, it actually is quite a shock to me to to learn really the the youth of these vines and it's just funny to hear you saying for over there these are towards the older side but you know for me and and i guess the potentially a lot of the listeners you know that 2004 as a planting 2007 first vintage is still going to be still relatively young in in 2021
1: yeah no absolutely and so you know it's it's this is a this is a marathon this is not uh, this is a generational thing that you know grandkids will see you know, the vines and I would love to make wines as long as I can. And with these, as the vines grow. Um, but yeah, they're still in, they're still babies and we're, but we're getting more and more nuances in the wines. Um, and I think this, like you said, it, it has its own personality where it walks in and it's confident. It knows what it is, has something, a story to tell. And it's, I think it's just a, a, a wonderful wine. I mean, I, I, I speak of them like you say, like people, because mm-hmm. they do. They all have their own personalities.
0: Super interesting to have, yeah, heard you describe in the hills and in the rocks, and and now we meet the, the third of the siblings, uh, the, the yes. contender. So, yeah, again, yeah, please yeah, yeah. take us inside the glass and explore the, the terroir in which these, uh, these grapes are grown for this wine.
1: So moving on to the third wine here with the contender um, – it comes from the same vineyard from the previous wine, the in the rocks vineyard. Um, but what makes this one unique is it's a wine that we co-ferment with the the white grape Marsan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there, I still can't find people who do that. I have heard in uh, different parts of Southern Rome, they play around with Syrah Marsan. Um, and it's a wine that we kind of took a gamble on, but we fell in love with, with the style, because it's it's a beautiful bridge from the standard Syrah Viognier to the 100% Syrah with this other kind of powerful uh, white grape of the Marsan. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Marsan by itself is remarkable and some of the greatest wines um, White wine in the world for my personal palate. So we thought, let's try and add a little bit. And boy, did we not need to add very much because it <laughs> it was amazing. It just brought this mouthfeel characteristic, this this like coating, almost glycerin, you know, just this mm-hmm. oily mm-hmm. texture mm-hmm. to it. And it was so fun because it's it has a richness and a power to it. That's more like it it feels like it might not have white wine in there. But if you know the Marsan grape, you pick it up. Um, And it's not as much about the aromatics with the white. It's all about the mouthfeel and the texture of it. So I use anywhere from um, 2% to uh, highest amount was, I believe, 10% Marsan. And it was in 2009 and for some reason it just worked but after that ten percent was way too much it's just needs the two to four percent I think so um, and it, it's a wine that we made from the beginning so we took a gamble and that that first time we made it you know we were thinking okay this is we're either gonna have to we're, it's either gonna be wonderful or we're gonna be ripping it out of the the, the vineyard you know because it was a it, it truly was a gamble but um, there's something magical that happens. It's a more hedonistic wine. It's darker. It's more brooding. It's got this cocoa crushed blackberry richness mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm, um, and it's you'd think it'd be something where it'd be hard to drink. It might be too much. But again, I'm all about this balance. And you, you see my personal uh, style in here um, without it. You know, you have to keep kind of a, your own style for each of the wines, but also a, a style for the entire brand of wine with Ryan So um, that's what I try to achieve with this one. And I think this one is is going to be very long lived. Uh, it's a wine that's going to hold wonderfully. Uh, all of them should be, but the contender just has that amazing backbone.
0: Okay. And, and I have to ask about the name. Is, is there a, a particular um,
1: story yes. behind that? Yeah. So my dad and I, one night maybe had too many glasses of wine and this wine was uh in in the barrel and we were thinking about names and let's just say we're better at growing grapes and making wine than coming up with names but dad you know kind of slurred speech said, i want to contend with the best wines in the world let's call it the contender and i'm like dad you need to write that down that was good we're not going to remember if you don't write it down <laughs> and so he wrote it down thank goodness and um you know it it just felt like it because it was the it just had that like god you could take this anywhere in the world and it would hold up you know yeah. and so we ended up calling it the contender and my dad being a lawyer um you know trademarked the name uh for the wine industry so it was uh it's pretty great that uh we had it and stayed with it the whole time.
0: It's actually really interesting to me as well. Just you know, hearing the way that you're talking about these wines, you know, I, I, it feels like uh, quite a French way to, to to describe the wines in terms of talking about their upbringing and and, and you sort of you know showing their their path through there. And I, th- I think you know, I've really enjoyed you describing these three wines kind of as they are now, but then also just talking to how they have been and, and how they sort of might be um, in the future. And, and, and I think that's really interesting for me because it kind of shows you, um, you know, that, that kind of situation where you see three Syrahs or three Syrah dominant wines from the same producer. But I hope that we've sort of reinforced that they're completely different wines and, and that you may well be in the mood for one of these, you know, more so than another at, at that yeah. particular time. One thing that intrigued me a little bit around the way that you described these three wines, Matt, was um, th- there seemed to be more of an emphasis on the soil, I guess, and the and the growing conditions, um, and the way that they were co-fermented, potentially over and above talking about the the growing conditions and 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 kind of what was happening around them in 2017. And, and I just wonder, it's just an open question really, is is that potentially uh, speak to the way that you like to talk about wine or does it also potentially bring in a little bit around those sort of perfect growing conditions that you've described over in Washington State where potentially the winemaker through um, irrigation and, and, and just simply through the fact of the region and, and it being so dry where vintage variation is potentially uh, not as as strong an influence as
1: it might be? It's a loaded question, but it's very good. (laughs) Um, So if we just first look at 2017, it was a year that we kind of, we had moved from hot year to hot year to hot year in the previous vintages. And in 17... It was looking um, it was looking like it was going to be the same kind of thing. Global warming was taking over, and we all needed to move off the planet type of thing. I mean it was heating up quickly. Um, it ended up being a hot year, but we had um, there was a lot lots of wildfires that have been happening recently, and they happened on the west coast and through the kind of hottest periods in two thousand and seventeen uh, we had high elevation smoke, not surrounding any of the vineyards, but blocking the sun. So it was a very interesting thing that we had absolutely no control over Mm -hmm. um, that made it benefit the wine because we didn't have that cooked characteristic that in a hot year, you can sometimes really have to manage. Um, So you always go in hoping for the best in a vintage, it's going to be ideal conditions. Um, But I think it's more interesting to myself to the consumer in years that are difficult, that are cooler and not just warm perfect conditions, because I feel that anyone can make wine in perfect conditions. But when you have, you know, trying to get ripe, trying to manage canopy in hot years or, or different, different things like that. Uh, those are the most exciting wines and the ones that you really remember. Um, because they had to struggle. They had to find a way to make it. Um, and I think it's a, it's a great thing that Washington has. It doesn't just, it's usually very good weather, but sometimes there's, you know, there, there are challenges every year with our, our changes in the winter, the temperatures that we have. It's not always perfect, but we're very fortunate that we have a long growing season. And, you know, if we, if we miss out at the beginning, we might catch up later, or if it gets too hot early, we might slow down and end of summer and so. mm mm-hmm. It throws you curveballs, but we do what we can. And, and that's why I think having our own vineyards, it's it's wonderful because we can go and I can be there in a flash, you know, one one vineyard. I'd look out my window and can see yeah. what I need to do. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's uh it's bringing, bringing, bringing the, uh, the, the the question of the commute, uh, which which yeah. which which so many of us at the moment we're you know we we we're, we're commuting to the to the kitchen table and and I guess it's uh that's been a been a reality for you for, 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 <laughs> for some time now. Potentially to you know sort of say sort of draw back a little bit and just sort of you know characterize my own experience with these wines is you know I, I'm not sure if I would have appreciated them fully you know five years ago I, you know i i think again you know for somebody potentially you know slightly younger in their wine journey i'm not sure if they're necessarily looking for all of those for me now you know amazing um striking characteristics that that they each, each of these wines and and the personality that they bring and the you know opening up the the fantastic pairing possibilities that 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 may well exist and, and i just wonder if we can yeah start to sort of broaden out the discussion slightly and, and talk a little bit to how these wines are, are being enjoyed firstly in, 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 in Washington. And, and I know that you have a, a an oversubscribed mailing list and, and just start to sort of, you know, talk about how these wines are being enjoyed
1: out there in the world. I think that your, everyone's palate changes throughout their whole life. Uh, sometimes these wines are not for everyone. You know, it's a particular style that we believe in and, I could make wine a thousand different ways, but this is the way I decided to do it. And I think younger people might not um, not younger people, but just when you're beginning in this, you might be looking Mm -hmm. for something or expecting something. Mm -hmm. I think as you go along and find what you truly like to to drink, you start to a lot of people start to gravitate towards that style. They're like, you know, I never knew Syrah could taste like this. I never knew that you could make this style here, you know, and they, they kind of are attracted to it. And, um, our customers, you know, are very well versed, uh, in, in the wine world, you know, they, they buy from all over and, Mm -hmm. you know, we have very loyal following. Um, and I think what's really fun about it is we do have an overcrowded list, but you know, some people, um, want to move on. They don't like the style anymore and their palates have changed and they go somewhere else and that's fine. Um, you know, it it gives room for new people, but I always like to keep some extra wine for distribution to, um, different markets to get it out there because if you continue to sell to the same people, uh, you know, you're kind of taking away other people's potential experience. Uh, so we like to, to get it out there, not incredibly well, um, you know, big amounts, but it's coming over and getting the wines, um, you know, imported over to you guys, you know, in the UK, uh, that was a big step for me because I thought, um, you know, that they would enjoy the style, uh, and something unique. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that it's, um, it, it just depends on, on who, who's enjoying the wines at this time. And are they continuing to like it? I mean, cause I'm going to, I'm going to make the ones that I like to make and, I'm going to have people who are going to be lifelong fans and other people who will go somewhere else and maybe they'll come back, maybe they won't, but yeah. you have to do it for yourself. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. can't, Yeah. you know... I want to be uh, remembered as a, you know, a consistent, like, you know, when you think of Shavre or when you think of these great Syrah plays, it's like, you know, they're doing it their way. They're not trying to please anyone else. They're doing it their way. And that's what we want to do.
0: I think perfect... Segue. I think you 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 really set it up nicely there um, to start talking about you know maybe a little deep dive into the UK potentially introducing Esther and 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 the relationship there and then you know by all means bringing us bang up to date with this recent tasting.
1: So, being that we are now in the UK, um, we had a group come over to visit us in Walla Walla. Um, group of folks who are part of the entire wine system over there uh, came a couple of years ago and we're kind of blown away. They were just loving the wines. And um, uh, one of the gentlemen, um, Adam Dugmore of Esther wines now imports our wines mm-hmm. and it's getting into the UK market. And we were uh, fortunate to do this, um, this tasting uh, about a week, a week ago where um, they brought in um, different Syrah producers from around the world. And I was, you know, honored to be a part of it. It was uh, myself, uh, Michel Ciputier, uh a wonderful gentleman from uh, making very cool wines out of Lebanon. And I, Australian producer that um, was making wonderful wines as well. We weren't able to taste directly, but I've had some of their wines throughout the years. Um, and so that was a big introduction um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the people listening and were part of the system were, Uh, amazing writers, psalms, you know, people in the wine industry, in the UK market and abroad. Um, And it was kind of a big hello to, you know, Washington Walla Walla Wines. Um, And we held our own. I think that a lot of the people who were were watching were saying, this is exceptional. We need to start paying attention to what's happening. Um, And, it was a big boost for me. I, I didn't piss off too many people. I thought I was going to, but I did pretty, I did okay. Um, but I think it was a little eye opening to the people taking part in it too. Like, wow, band's getting a lot of, um, you know, these, these Washington wines are, are very serious. And I think, you know, that's what we've been looking for. Um, the world's getting smaller. Um, we want our wines to other people in the world to enjoy them and being a part of, you know, this kind of international, um, Tasting was wonderful and, and a great um, introduction for us to the world. I mean, because we're what's seen around the world is some of the larger producers. And uh, we're one of the smaller boutique, you know, kind of uh, I don't like the term cult wines, but, you know, the one of the more harder to get wines. And so to share them with people who really appreciate it, it was wonderful.
0: As very much tends to happen when I'm having these interviews and, and, and getting in tune, you you've really set me up, I think to close the interview in which I always like to look ahead you know I always like to to end on a, a more speculative note and and I'm just wondering for you over the next sort of five years you know potentially zooming in on on things like the marketing and the communication you know what do you see as the opportunities for for Walla Walla Wine um, and the region and and then you know potentially slightly longer term you know over that sort of 20 years which which may well potentially bring in elements of winemaking and, and and grape growing and, and, and you know, more fundamental change even?
1: Well, I think that, um, you know, going forward in the next five, 10 years, 20 years down the line, I think we think about that because we want to be a generational uh, winery um, as a state. And there's factors that you have to think about with, uh, you know, the global, you know, climate, what's happening there uh will take effect in the vineyard. We need to obviously always be looking ahead. I think right now we're in a good spot, but you know, there's some scary trends coming. So we gotta be aware of that. Maybe you have to shift and pivot and do something different. But we're always very attentive in the vineyard, I think, for growing our our brand. I I, I think the recognition um in a larger scale, you know, I think that uh when people hear of Syrah's, you know, I hope Ryan is uh, is in their head and one of the ones to look to for, for great Syrahs around the world. And, you know, I think that we just have to keep pushing the envelope and never rest on any sort of laurels that we have or achievements or accolades um, because in the end, you know, we just make what we love and um, the accolades will be there or they won't, but we're, we're still going to be working incredibly hard. I don't think we want to expand the brand too much. Um, if anything, just trying to dial in each wine and, and try to make them better uh, each year. That's the goal. Um, and, you know, if things are permitting and we can do it, that's what we're going to continue to do. So um, that's, I think the world, like I said, is getting smaller and we're going to have to um, think about a larger clientele. And uh, I look forward to hopefully being a part of that.
0: I, I would just ask you th- the same question but for the entirety of washington i mean it, this sure. this feels like a you know a, a really incredible journey that i've been on and and have, you know feel like i've shared so much around where the region has come from and i think have helped in you know breaking perceptions and and, and some myths maybe that, that that may have existed about there about washington wine and 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 you know, that they are making this, this, this incredible wine. And I just wonder what kind of comes to mind if I, if I say, yeah, what is the, the, I guess, the broader opportunity for Washington wine, potentially domestically and then potentially internationally as well over that sort of same time period?
1: In terms of Washington as a whole, in terms of the, the kind of emerging wine region that people, um, you know, what we're doing up here across the state Um I think we need to there's a good and a bad thing is that we don't really have an identity because we it's good because we're able to grow so much, Mm -hmm. but you don't think Washington State and think of a particular varietal. I, I, I personally believe that. I think it's everyone's doing wonderful jobs with different varietals. So that makes it a little bit of um harder to market throughout the the world and in the United States to be quite honest as well, because There's just a lot going on. So in terms of defining what, you know, which, which varietal, what what it's going to be that we're going to be known for, that will help us in our journey going forward. Um, But I think that more and more talent is coming into the state. Uh, They have their own ideas. They want to make great wine. And just like any wine region that's developing, there's going to be some hits. There's going to be some misses. And I think it'll start getting tighter and tighter and we will find um, our voice of what we do and you know i think that uh, the wines that are created here can can rival some of the best in the world and i hope people will see that and uh will take another look if they see a washington wine and give it a try
0: a huge thanks once again to matt ryan van of ryan van family vineyards if you know someone who would find this episode useful do please share the direct link which is interpretingwine.com slash 445 please do see below for website and main social media handles for Van family vineyards for those of you in the uk i've also included details of their uk importer esther wines and do be sure to visit washington state wine online at washingtonwine.org at washington state wine on facebook and at wa underscore state underscore wine on twitter and instagram that is unfortunately the last episode of this fascinating deep dive into washington state wines a region i am so happy to have explored and even happier to have been able to invite you along on this virtual journey please do help more people find this content about a region i hope you have come to know and love by leaving an itunes review for episodes 443 444 or 445 and please don't forget to come say hi on social media where i'm at interpreting wine on instagram and facebook at wine podcast on twitter and email hello at interpretingwine.com See you next time